It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Hey, today on the podcast, we have a special guest speaker, Doug Anderson, who has been a guest speaker at our church on numerous occasions, uh, but it's been a, been a while. And so he's speaking today on lessons from the labyrinth. Hey, also, I want to thank everybody who has given us books for our book drive for Covington Head Start. It looks like we've about hit our goal of 150 books for the kids in this community, and so that's pretty awesome. Hey, we've got a few things coming up in the next few weeks, some small groups, so stay up to date with everything at our website, northshorevineyard.org. Let's go ahead and head to the talk. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Well, it's good being back, but this is our first time to be in this new facility, and man, it's awesome. Isn't it great? Uh, I uh, pretty much like everything you guys do. Can I raise this or try? Yeah, there we go. Uh, I got it. <laughs> I'm checked out on that equipment. So. It's stable now. All right. But anyway, we love coming over here. Of course, we love Crispin and Dino. They're some of our favorite people to hang out with. Maybe the favorite, but I don't want them to know that. Uh, but uh, we always have a good time, and uh, we're very excited and really proud of what God's done here. Uh, we've kind of tracked with you guys from the beginning, uh, actually before the beginning. <laughs> you know, Crispin and I, I guess it was during Katrina, actually would sit around uh, at night with the teams that were coming in and, and dream a little bit and listen to his dreams about planning a church one day. And it's kind of fun to come and actually see it happen. So I want to talk to you this morning about uh, something called a labyrinth and experience I had recently uh, finding out what that was. Uh, but um, you, you'd probably agree with me this morning that one way that we can view our life is as a journey. You know, we're all traversing through life, and in spite of how ambitious and detailed our future plans might be, um, they're almost inevitably interrupted, our, our path, our journey, by unexpected eventualities, right? Anybody experienced that? You know, you have this idea of what your life's going to be like, and then all of a sudden you get thrown a curve, something you didn't see coming. Um, you know, I, I just find myself grieving deeply for uh, the Warrens, Rick Warren and his wife, and uh, the tragedy of their youngest son committing suicide this last weekend. Uh, and, I, you know, I just can't imagine, and, and I'm sure that's something they never saw coming. Or weren't, how, how do you prepare for that type of thing? Uh, but even somebody like Rick Warren, and what a great pastor and, and the way he's led us to... Uh, have something like that hit a life, what do, you, what do you do? I mean, you know, nobody, nobody plans, right, for these things. Nobody plans when you're getting married to, you know, to kind of put in the contingency plan, the divorce or, uh, you know, cancer, uh, being a victim of something like abuse or death. I mean, when we dream and we think about what's going to happen in our life, we, we don't include these things. And that's kind of weird because we know that the chances are that something that we didn't expect 
is going to come our way, right? So, how do we navigate through life? You know, how do, how, how do we dream, you know, without getting them kind of squashed? Um, when we really don't know what's going to happen. How, how, do we, how do we go forward? Or worse, you know, how do we navigate through life when we know for sure pretty much that something we didn't expect is, is going to happen? We almost need a guide to lead us through our life journey. Many of you, I'm sure, are aware that we, we have at work in us this... Um, a guide of sorts uh, that's deep within us that kind of uh, shapes and informs the things that we do. It's kind of like a, a subconscious uh, guiding metaphor that informs our life, our choices, our attitudes. And uh, it's kind of like an inner template that's like a computer code that that uh, affects so much of how we respond to things and... and uh, what we do when these unexpected things hit our life. Uh, you know, for example, if our life metaphor was, say, a party, or maybe Disneyland, uh, you wouldn't necessarily choose this, but it's running in the background. We, we, a lot of times we don't even know it. Well, if, if our life metaphor was a party or Disneyland, Disneyland we just want to have fun, right? We want to be happy. It's the happiest place on earth. Everything that happens, we... We measure against that grid of, well, see, did that make me happy or not? Or if our life was, uh, say, a test, then what would we measure things by and, and respond to things by, whether we passed or failed? Or if our life metaphor was a storm, uh, you know, we just want to survive and come out without damage. If we viewed life, and a lot of people I know do, as a game, uh, we just want to win. We, the last thing we want to be is a loser. Um, and so everything is kind of like, am I winning? You know, is everything's a competition? Uh, or if we see life uh, as a fort, um, we just want to be safe and, and not attacked or not die. Uh, some people see life as a rat race or a maze. And uh, if that's our life metaphor, we just want to get out of this thing. Um, and without getting lost, right? Without hitting a dead end. And for sure, we want our cheese that they promised at the end. <laughs> Whatever that might be. And then for many, life is simply like a box of chocolates. Right? You know, full of delicious surprises. So when these unexpected things happen to us, our response or how we handle them whether we respond in fear or anxiety or faith and love, whether we're suspicious or trusting, to a large extent is shaped by this thing running in our background. I mean, it may be news to you this morning, and you're probably sitting there going, oh, I wonder what mine is, you know. Or maybe you're very aware of it. Um, but nevertheless, how we respond so often is determined by this. Um, I realized this in, in one era of my life about eight years ago. I had a major metaphor shift, one way to say it. In my, really, in my approach to pastoral ministry, I was pastoring a church, and I was about 15 years into pastoring this church that Marsha and I planted, and uh, all of a sudden, God just started totally retooling me in, my, in the way I saw pastoral ministry. And 
I realized that the metaphor that was running in the background was, was that of a mechanic. You know, it was my job to keep this machine running and running efficiently. Uh, the problem w with that was it was very controlling and it exploited people. They were expendable. You know, people were like gears. If this one wasn't working right, we'd throw it out and put it in a new one, you know. Uh, whatever it took to keep our machine going or building our vision, my vision. And God just totally retooled me and gave me a metaphor of a, of a gardener. Uh, and it was so interesting because what changed was the way I saw people, you know. Here as a gardener, uh, it was very... Uh, I saw my job as one who empowered people or tried to uh, uh, create an atmosphere where God, who put the seed of life within them, uh, to help, help that happen and to, for them to uh, kind of be what God created them to be. And it was so much more fun. And people like me better, too. So, uh, so. What if we adopted an overarching narrative or metaphor for our life's journey that served as an awesome and incredible, wise, incredibly wise guide that would help us navigate the path of our life no matter what came our way? So many of our narratives, uh, they, they just can't handle unexpected things. But what if, what if we adopted a metaphor uh, that that would serve as a guide and even prepared us for whatever might happen. Um, and I'd like to propose this morning that this labyrinth, and I'll explain more what that is in a minute, as a life metaphor would really serve us well in that way. And I think for those that are followers of Jesus especially, I think uh, the labyrinth served as a great inner metaphor that... Um, helps us process things. Um, one reason I feel this way is that, you know, actually just reading the Bible, it's, we see woven throughout the whole, whole Bible and different stories and different things, this overarching narrative of people being on a journey, right? I mean, don't you see that in so many stories in the Bible, so many parables Jesus told? It's, it's everywhere. When you start reading it through those lenses, it's like almost the whole book's about that. Um, and one of the more well-known passages that, that many of us know is, is the 23rd Psalm, and I think it's actually printed there on your, uh, whatever you call those things that they give you when you walk in here. Uh, flyers, bulletins, programs, whatever. Um, but, so I want to read it together. You can follow along, but, but let's, let's look at this from the point of view of somebody that's on a journey that needs a guide to help them in this journey, and it, it kind of comes to life in a different way for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the last month, I, I uh, experienced two different journeys that uh, just kind of like are in the forefront of my mind. And in many ways, these journeys are very similar to one another. In other ways, they're worlds apart. Uh, the first one actually um, was a, a hike that, that Crispin and I took in uh, Oregon. We were up there for a worship leaders retreat last month. And uh, we were with a group of, I don't know, eight or nine people. And we took this hike one afternoon. We had some free time. And on the way back to uh, where we parked uh, from this hike, there was this enticing trail that kind of went to the right and then steeply up. And it was kind of muddy and slippery. And uh, I don't know what this says about Christmas or me, but anyway, we were the only two that decided to take that trail. The rest of them went back to the car. And we said, we don't know where that goes, but we'll meet you back at the car. Uh, and anyway, uh, there's more to that story I don't have time to tell. Uh, but but here, here's some things that about that particular hike. Uh, we didn't know where it would take us or how long it would take. We had no idea. We didn't know how lost we were or if we would get back safely. At some point, I felt that way, didn't you, Crispin? Uh, we didn't know what was over the next ridge or what was to come. We were walking uh, in kind of ignorance of that. Uh, we, we didn't know that we were going to get to see some of the most beautiful scenery as a reward for our effort or our adventure or stupidity, whatever, whichever way it was. Uh, but, you know, thinking about this, it would have really been nice, wouldn't you say, Crispy, that if, uh, if we had somebody that had been on that path before that was going with us? I mean, it would, it would just kind of relieve all the anxiety for somebody to say, hey, no, you're good, you're fine. This goes back to there. Or, hey, it's going to take you a couple hours like it did, and people will be waiting for you at the car for all that long and be mad at you. Uh, it would be good to have somebody like that there. Uh, and then a week later, I was in Scottsdale at a, uh, with some other vineyard leaders, and, and it was, the meeting was at this Franciscan uh, uh, retreat center, and at this retreat center, they had this thing called a labyrinth. And it's kind of interesting because I've never thought much about a labyrinth. But just in the last several months, I, I keep hearing a labyrinth referred to. And it's kind of, oh, that sounds interesting. But I had something pictured in my mind. And so I'm at this retreat center, and I see there's a sign that said labyrinth that way. So the first chance I got, I went back there, and I was so disappointed. It was, it was just this, these rocks, you know, on the desert sand put in a certain order that outlines some paths. And I'm like... That, that's it? It's like, I don't see how that could help you or do anything for you. And so, anyway, so I decided, well, maybe there's something magic when you walk through here. Uh, so here I go. You know, I felt really stupid, you know, what kind of walk in this thing. I, I had no idea how to do it. You know, I didn't know if it was like spiritual hopscotch, you know, if you're, you know or like Christian long jump or twister. Pedestrian NASCAR. I, di I didn't know. You know. There was no rules on this thing. Uh, but uh, here's the question. It's like, what in the world would walking around a few circles on a guided path of carefully placed stones on the desert floor, what, what could it do for somebody? And so I was a little skeptical. Uh, and consequently, I didn't get a whole lot out of it. Um, 
But then a couple days later, the guy that was leading the first part of our meeting uh, as an <clears throat> exercise, as a spiritual exercise, he had the whole group of about 15 or 16 of us go out to the labyrinth and walk through it together. Now, I felt pretty stupid doing it by myself, but I felt even sillier with a 15 or 16 other friends kind of walking around this at the beginning. And he would kind of time us. We'd line up there at the beginning, and he'd, you'd go, and then he'd go, okay, the next person go, and then the next, you know, it's kind of... Uh, and when uh, everybody was in the labyrinth and, you know, at different places, <clears throat> he told everybody to stop. And... Uh, and I'm going to tell you more about that later because I didn't mean to talk about that right now. But anyway, uh, to be continued. Uh, I, let me just say at this point, though, that uh, there was more meaning and insight that I had no, no idea could happen from something is what seemed so simple. Uh, and it's turned out to be a radical and transforming experience for me. And there's not a day that goes by hardly where there isn't something about what I observed and experienced in that little trek that uh, God hasn't, like, spoken to me about. I mean, it just continues and continues. It's quite incredible. And, uh, but both, you know, uh, both of these uh, hikes, the one I did with Crispin and then this one, they were very similar. They're both hikes along a trail that I'd never been on before. They both gave me insights and perspective uh, that I didn't know or hadn't had before. Um, and on both, I didn't know where I was going or what might happen. But that's pretty much where the similarities ended. Uh, the first hike was kind of challenging and adventurous. The labyrinth appeared not to be adventurous at all, but ended up being very insightful and rewarding. So, uh, for those of us that aren't familiar with labyrinths, let me real quickly talk about what it is. Um, a labyrinth, and I think we even have a, a picture of that labyrinth. There's the, the uh, scientific version of it. Um, it's a single path kind of designed or used these days for personal, psychological, and spiritual transformation. Um, these things... This is kind of like one of the classic designs of a labyrinth that started showing up about a thousand years after uh, Christ died on church walls and floors. And there's even examples in, in churches in the Roman Empire. Uh, there's, some, of the, some of the books suggest that these were on cathedral floors um, during the medieval period as an alternative to going to the uh, Holy Land, a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. People that couldn't go would somehow walk this and uh, have a similar experience. But this one we're looking at now is a classical seven-circuit uh, labyrinth, and it shows where you enter. Uh, there's only one place to get in this, um, and uh, the go the wall, uh, and then you walk on these paths or circuits that are defined by these walls. And I guess different labyrinths are made out of different things. The one I went on, you saw the picture. That was the actual one that we that went on. Yeah, that one. Uh, but then, uh, thank you, you're good. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but these stones, or sometimes it might be hedges or whatever, they define the path, but the goal is to get to the center. And at first glance, it may not look like it, but there's just one path. That's all one path. 
which is pretty significant, ended up being pretty significant to me. Uh, and what's significant is that, that the way in is also the way out. And that phrase right there has been something God keeps speaking to me. The way in is the way out. <clears throat> and uh, there's no blind alleys. Um, the path leads you on this circuitous route and then back out again. Uh, and so at, it, at its most basic level, the labyrinth is a metaphor for our life journey. Our journey to the center and, and listen to this, where we experience Jesus at the deepest level. Um, this is where we experience the depth and breadth and height and width of his unconditional love for us. That's, that's significant. Have you experienced that? I'm talking about, I mean, this is, and it's not like you go there once. <laughs> you know, you think you know the love of Jesus, and then you end up back in the center, and there's a whole new wave or layer of just when you thought uh, there couldn't be more dimension to his love for us, he reveals it again. And as a result, we also discover, um, mainly because of receiving his love, we discover who we really are. Isn't it interesting that we can't really know who we are or what God created us for on our own? We go through life blind to that. It takes kind of receiving his love for us to even understand how he's made, made ourselves, made us. And, uh, and so once we understand what he's created us for, this becomes our true calling in life. And we feel his grace and his empowerment. His love compels us forward in what he's called us to do. And it's through his love that he equips us for that. And so we become aware of this, and then we're empowered and sent back out into the world with kind of a new and broadened understanding of who who we are and what we're made for. And a labyrinth isn't to be confused with a maze, which, is, which happens often. We think, oh, it's a maze. That doesn't sound very, very fun to some people. To some, it's a challenge. But the difference is a labyrinth has one path. A maze has many paths. Matter of fact, they have many confusing paths and crossroads that keep us full of anxiety and worrying about, you know, do I go right, do I go left, or whatever. there's another way. Um, and we end up frustrated because we invest all this time going down this path that we thought was right, and it's a dead end. And we just want to get out and get our cheese. Uh, but a labyrinth, I mean, just think about this. I just want to warn you, if you haven't spent time thinking about this, you might leave here today going, what's the big deal? Which I did. That's kind of like, that's such a simple idea. But then later, it goes off. Like a bomb. <laughs> uh, I'm just warning you. Uh, so, 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 you know, here's the maze, but you go back here and it's like, just think about the, the difference in experience and, and the anxiety of a maze versus walking in a labyrinth where there's only, it's only one path. There's only one way in and one way out. 
You don't have to worry about getting lost. You don't have to worry about dead ends. And if you think about that, walking uh, through life with Jesus in, as a metaphor of a labyrinth, we can be at ease and rest in that way, that he is, what, our great shepherd. <laughs> so anyway, um, and so the way in is the way out. We don't have to worry about getting lost in that way. We only have, with, with, a, with a maze, you have many, many, many choices. With the labyrinth, you really only have one, and that's whether to enter or not. And Jesus is always calling us and beckoning us to enter, enter the kingdom, enter the journey. Um, so how might our life be different if we used the labyrinth as our life metaphor? Um, I just want to uh, share with you my, some, some things on my experience. I just want to share five questions or observations that I felt like God put in my heart as I experienced the labyrinth. Now, these may not be yours, and uh, if, if you uh, adopt this kind of idea, um, your, your path will be much different. There may be a lot of similarities, I'm sure. But I just wanted to share you there were five things that I came away with that were significant as kind of an illustration of how, how forceful this guiding metaphor is in our life. One of the questions that I felt like God had placed in my heart as I was walking through here is, uh, and again, these seem so simple and obvious, but they end up being profound, is where, where am I going? So I enter the labyrinth and I'm walking around here and, and the question comes, where am I going? Well, of course, I knew I was going to the center of the thing. I, I understood that part. But then it was like, okay, so what is that center? And at first, you know, I gave the easy Christian answer. Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the center. Center, not center. Center. Uh, and it's those kind of flippant answers that keep us not really uh, sometimes experiencing all that we can. But that was my first thought. Uh, but then, uh, you know, as I experienced this, all of us, and actually in the weeks since, I began to realize that the center and the goal for all of us who follow Jesus is home. I don't know if you caught it, but when you start thinking about this, you see it everywhere. Some of the worship songs this morning were talking about home. You know, uh, because home is a place of rest where we're relieved of all the baggage and extra weight we're carrying. It's a place where we can cease from striving. It's a safe place where we are free from all the enemies that seek to destroy our faith, free from anxiety and fear and disease and sin and death. And it's home and it's rest and it's safe because of the experience of the love of Jesus, his unconditional love for us. We know what it's like to be somewhere where we can just be, right? You don't have to worry about being something for somebody. And it's restful, isn't it? You can just be. And you're loved. Uh, yeah, it's just a powerful, powerful thing. The center or home is described in this 23rd Psalm like this. The Lord is my shepherd. And then it, towards the end of this, it says, You prepare a table 
before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, there's a, in, do you see that picture of rest? I don't have to worry about them. You've prepared this safe table, invited me to come. Uh, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He goes before me, he goes behind me, and he places, this, he places me in this safe home. The sinner's place where we gladly lay down and trade in all our other dreams and goals and aspirations, ambitions, and we, we pick up and trade it in for the cross of Christ gladly <laughs> because of his love. And we become equipped with everything we need to be sent back out into the world to share with others this love that we're experiencing and empowered to rescue others from the grip of darkness. Well, so that was the first thing is what, where, where was I going? And it's still unfolding and being unpacked as I think about it. Uh, a second question was, uh, you know, I'm walking along here and I'm seeing these stones and I feel like the Lord uh, caused this, me to reflect on this question. What are the boundaries that define my life? I, I mean, the things we take for granted. We're walking on this path, but how do we know it's a path? Because of our limits. I mean, it would have been easy to just step over them, but, you know, being people that are obedient to the conventions and laws and things, you know, it's obvious here's the path. I walk in between these things. And I began to be, I started to think, well, what are the boundaries that God has placed in my life, you know? What are the limits? And, and do I complain about them, or am I thankful? And just seeing them as ones that define the very path uh, along the journey that he's called us to and equipped us for is a wonderful thing. Uh, something not to uh, complain about or always pushing the edge of them or escaping every once in a while, you know. Uh, and so uh, many times these limits are placed there for us to enjoy fully the life rather than just being this open thing that we don't know what to do or where to go. And uh, Many times these limits are there in our life. Uh, they come in the form of very difficult and hard times. Uh, and... Uh, And sometimes it's kind of hard to continue. The past seems so restrictive and different. Uh, in this psalm, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His rod and his staff speak of the very limits, the, you know, the boundaries of our path as he disciplines those he loves. and I like uh, another Psalm 16 uh, verse 5. It says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. There's the attitude of somebody that understands the restrictions that 
God places in our lives are good for us, you know. Um, the third question was, uh, and this is a big one. <clears throat> Some of you probably will relate to this. You know, am I going the right way? Um, how do I know I'm on the right path? Now, one of the cool things about a labyrinth is it does make that a little bit easier to see, but there's still that nagging question we have, right? Am I on the right path, or did I somehow make a wrong turn somewhere, and I'm, I'm going off this way, and I don't, don't even know I'm heading the wrong way? How do I know I'm not deceived? <laughs> or the, one that, the worst one is, how do I know I'm in God's perfect will? Was I supposed to buy that cheeseburger or was I supposed to get the fish sandwich? What was God's perfect will for my life? You know, um, <clears throat> that, that one trips us up. You know, when you start reading the Bible and you get haunted by uh, passages like Proverbs 16.25, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, in the end, it's the path of death. Oh, you know, what if I'm on a path of death? What if I... I well, this path seems right to me. It must go to death. Well, you know, how to, so I, pe- I should pick the one that seems wrong to me? How do you deal with that passage, you know? Um, and this is exactly why we need a guide or a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His reputation's on the line. He guides us in the right paths. Isn't that comforting? To know that if Jesus is our shepherd and he's leading us through this labyrinth, this journey through life, that he's going to make sure that we're on the right path and we can trust in him in that way. Um, another thing we do, though, in this way is we, or maybe I'm the only one that does this, but I, um, I look at uh, my fellow sojourners and see them going a different way. And, of course, I see them going the wrong way. By that, I mean they're not going the way I'm going. So, therefore, they must be going the wrong way. Uh, and I judge them and maybe uh, criticize them. And, and I villainize them. And I end up uh, making them look evil because they're going a different way than I am. I know you guys don't relate to that kind of thing, but I, I struggle sometimes. <laughs> Uh, and so here I'm walking through this labyrinth with a group of these other guys that are my friends. And uh, it just so happened that when the guy said stop, that story I was going to tell you earlier, uh, that was for here. But when, he, when it, uh, when, uh, so the guy says stop where you are and just look around and see what do you observe? What do you hear the Lord saying? And here's this, this other pastor that I have enormous respect for just right next to me. The only thing is, I'm heading this way, and he's heading that way. You can see where that would be. You know, the, I mean, like, you know, like this, this turns right here, and so I'd be going this way, and uh, he'd be going that way, and we'd be right next to each other. And then it just hit me. Who's going the right way? Isn't that what we ask when we see somebody going a different way? Well, who's going the right way? We both are. Isn't it interesting? Not, not only are we both on the same path, we're both heading to the same thing. But it appears we're going different ways. And, and uh, I just felt like God really 
convicting me of the judgment I had sometimes on people when he's saying, you don't understand where they are on the path. You're not, you're not where they are on the path. They might be ahead of you, they might be behind you, I don't know, but you know, you're, you're comparing it to where you are. And then he reminded me of all the dogmatic positions I've had in my life and that I've had to eat them over, over the years, you know, that I changed. And along this journey and in this labyrinth really uh, portrays it is there's a lot of different sharp turns and twists and different directions. And so it gave me a whole new perspective actually on what the centered set is that we talk about in the vineyard. I always thought it was like here's the center and we're all kind of heading the same direction. But this gave me a different picture. We could look like we're going different directions and still be heading to the center. Uh, and so God just kind of crushed my pride of direction. And, uh, and then the fourth thing was, uh, am I going at the right pace? Uh, and we ask this sometime in our Christian journey. You know, am I, am I keeping up with where I'm supposed to be? Um, and interesting, this guy that was leading us through this kept saying, now, slow down, slow down. Don't go too fast so you can observe what's going on. And uh, I found out that we didn't get extra points for finishing first or with the fastest time. It wasn't a competition. You can't, like, block out and, you know, move people out of the way to get ahead. We do that, though, don't we? Uh, and then I reflected on this 23rd Psalm again. The Lord is my shepherd, and when... In other words, when he is our shepherd, I shall not be in want. And look at the pace of this passage. He makes me lie down in green pastures. <laughs> Slow down. Slow down. He leads me beside quiet waters. Enjoy what's around you. He restores my soul. I'll leave it at that for God to speak to you further on <laughs> in the busyness of our life. And then the last question was, how far along am I? Where are we on our spiritual journey? This is going to sound confusing. I'll try to explain it. But one of the revelations I had in walking the labyrinth is that I realized that when I was closest to the center, I was the farthest away. And when I seemed the farthest away, I was actually not very far at all from the center. Do you get that? Do you see it? You can be right next to the center. Yeah, you can see it either way. But you can be right next to the center and still have a long way to go on the path. Or you can be up there where that path label is and be pretty close, not to have very far to go to the center. And God just so powerfully spoke to me that he, he, he at once relieved me of the job of judging my nearness or farness from him. It wasn't my job to figure out where I was on this path. How far I was from the center, you know. It no longer mattered what I thought. It wasn't my job. It was the job of our faith to assure us that he's placed us where we need to be and we're, we're where we need to be at just the right time. To believe that He is our shepherd and He is with us. He's watching over us. He's before us. He's behind us. Listen, listen to all these things in this 
short little Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths. You are with me. You're rod and your staff. You prepare a table. You anoint my head. Surely goodness and love will follow me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see the work that he is involved in in our lives? How much he's involved? I don't know about you, that makes me rest. It makes me feel good and not worry and not full of anxiety. Am I pleasing God? Am I doing the right thing? I mean, he, he loves us so much more than we could ever know. So this morning, we're going to uh, have a time of communion. I want to invite Marsha, my wife, to come up. And Marsha and I are going to uh, have the privilege of standing down here and, and serving you all communion. But before we actually do that, and I guess the worship team is coming up to lead us in a song. And as we worship this with this song... I just invite you to kind of, re- there's two things I'd like you to reflect on. One is, is there a life metaphor that's kind of uh, informing your life right now? And what is it? You know, that alone can be very revelational about why some of the things that happen that we don't want to happen in our life. Like if we see things as a race and we're always so competitive and envious and jealous. Or, you know, but ask God to, to show you what is it that's informing our values. And, and secondly, I just want to invite you to consider this morning adopting and asking the Lord to, to do this, but adopting the labyrinth as a primary um, guiding metaphor in your life. It serves us well. It's not a formula. It's not a trick. Because what it is, it's a, it's a journey with Jesus. That's what's so powerful about it. And it calls us to that. Um, and so, um, we're going to serve you communion when you come up. And as you come, maybe you could envision in your mind that you're on this journey this morning. And whatever path you take to get to the communion uh, elements, you can envision being on this journey with Jesus. And when you get here, you're in the center. Expecting to receive uh, in a fresh way, in a new way, his unconditional love for you this morning. Would you come with your hearts open to receive his love? It doesn't matter whether you deserve it. Isn't that what communion's about? Come to my table, not as righteous, but people who need to have faith in Jesus for us to be righteous. He wants to pour out his love on you. And so invite you to do that as you come and uh, then afterwards I guess there's some ministry teams if you have need for anything this morning healing um, uh, things you're struggling with maybe you've been hit with one of these um, events in life that you didn't expect and you're reeling from it and you you need the peace of God in your heart this morning invite you to come Marshall will be here too to pray after we're through serving communion and uh And so we we invite you to come to that.